This week's episode of Enchanted Tiki Talk is brought to you by Kingdom Strollers, providing premium stroller and crib rentals delivered straight to Orlando area or Disney Resort free of charge. You choose the time of delivery and pickup and we do the rest. It couldn't be easier. Book your Kingdom Stroller rental today by visiting KingdomStrollers.com and Mickey Monthly, the Disney fans' monthly subscription box. Visit them at MickeyMonthly.com. If you can't visit the parks, have the parks sent to you. And by MousePros.com. Let these Disney travel specialists help plan your next Disney vacation. MousePros.com offers free concierge service to help guide you every step of the way in planning your perfect Disney vacation. Let them sweat the details so you can focus on the fun. Visit MousePros.com for a free no-obligation quote. Ask for Tiki Bird Sean or any of our friendly agents. And now, on with the show! Ladies and gentlemen, no flashbulbs, please. Our performers are temperamental and easily upset. Thank you for your cooperation. Oh, look at all the people. My goodness, you're all staring at us. We better start the show rolling. Wait, wait. We forgot to wake up the Glee Club. Hey, howdy, hey, and welcome to Enchanted Tiki Talk. We are your hosts. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. I'm Matt. I'm Scott. And I'm Alan. So grab yourself a Dole Whip or a citrus roll, pull up a chair, and enjoy the show. This is episode 178 for the week of March 19th, 2017. To casual Disney fans, the name Floyd Norman might not ring a bell. However, his work on such classics as Jungle Book, Sleeping Beauty, Sword in the Stone, and many, many others have shaped generations of Disney fans. This week, we have the honor to bring on two filmmakers who brought his story to the masses in the documentary, Floyd Norman and Animated Life. To celebrate the Blu-ray release of this film, please welcome Michael Fiore and Eric Sharkey into the Tiki Hut. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, guys. We are very happy to be in the Tiki Hut. <laughs> it's nice and warm in here, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> better than New York, that's for sure. I'm sure it is. <laughs> so we want to get started with everything. You guys obviously are both filmmakers and done an incredible job. As filmmakers, have you guys always loved the Disney films and parks? Absolutely. I mean, we, Eric and I both grew up, you know, on the cinema and in my family at the very least, it was kind of every other year we would take a trip to Disney World. And then as we got older, we started to go to Disneyland so certainly it was kind of ingrained in, in me to appreciate and love all things uh, Disney and Disney animation. Yeah, me too. I, I, I loved Disney films growing up. I was uh, lucky that when I was a kid, the theater in my neighborhood did a revival of all the classic Disney films. So you could see them in the theater. And uh, my personal favorite was uh, always The Jungle Book which is why it was such a thrill for us to make this film about Floyd, because he plays such a big part in the Jungle Book. But uh, I've always loved the uh, Disney parks, and uh, definitely the, the Haunted Mansion is probably my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> good pick. Excellent choice. <laughs> a true classic. Um, yeah, it is. What about, about Floyd's uh, story inspired um, you to make this film? Uh, I first met Floyd at uh, San Diego... Comic-Con, and uh, when we started talking, I was just, like, instantly blown away by, like, how many movies he's worked on and TV shows he's worked on, and when he casually talked about working with Walt Disney on The Jungle Book, I was, like, 
totally blown away. I was like, that's my favorite Disney movie, and you worked with Walt Disney. <laughs> and then you find out he worked on Sleeping Beauty and Sword in the Stone and Pixar, and uh, I just thought, this guy's so charismatic. He's had such an amazing career. You know, more people should know about this guy. And then uh, sometime after, I met Michael, and, and Michael was looking to produce a new film. And uh, luckily, he wanted to make the movie, too. And so we uh, got together and started doing it. Yeah, Eric and I had never worked on a movie together, but I was aware of Eric through our mutual friend and music composer, Ryan Shore, who did a tremendous job on the score for the Floyd Norman doc. And um, so I was aware of Eric that way, and I got Eric's information from Ryan and just cold-called him one day. It was uh, early winter of 2014, and um, I had just come off of a kind of a big scripted movie that had like all the bells and whistles of a Hollywood affair, um, and I was looking to do something where it was really, really creative and a doc interested me. So when I talked to Eric and he pitched me a handful of ideas, of those ideas, Floyd's story really stuck with me. And it, it felt like I got hit by a bolt of lightning, I always say. And, and within four to five weeks of Eric and I meeting up, really, I think only twice over like coffee and lunch, yeah. we kind of felt each other out and realized like we were going to be a, a good team together and four or five weeks later we were sitting with Floyd in his house in Pasadena and, and just started the process. Oh, geez. <laughs> what was that like? Just on his couch, like talking about Disney. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. But uh, what was also great was like the first two days of shooting we shot uh, on the Disney lot. So, uh, you know, we walked around with Floyd and we're walking around the animation building and we're, you know, and he's telling us all these stories about working with the nine old men and, you know, and, uh, and just to film him on the lot, passing on these great stories about Walt Disney and, and classics like Sleeping Beauty was so great. And then, yeah, then we would shoot at his house and then it's like, all right, yeah, we're just hanging out with a Disney legend, uh, filming his life story. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, Eric and I had so many moments in the whole process of making the movie, which, you know, you could categorize as pinch me moments, because, you know, if you're not impressed by just walking around the Disney lot, well, and on top of that, you have a Disney legend like Floyd giving you a tour. And then along the way, you're meeting people who are pivotal and key people in the creation of so many amazing pieces of animation and just entertainment in general. And they... The, the through line that I think Eric and I both found with meeting all these people was they were so warm, so smart, and so funny. Like, I don't think we met anyone that you could ever classify as dull. Like, everybody was just so cool. And um, it was just a joy, really, to make the movie. Like you were talking about, you're getting the uh, ability to walk around the Disney lot, and there were scenes from you know, Pixar and in, in the parks and everything, you know, us being a, as Disney fans, we know some of that stuff is not readily available to the, the common person. So what was it like as far as the process to be able to gain access to those areas? Or was it kind of like Floyd just kind of put you under his arms? Like, Hey, these guys are with me and, and off you, off you went. There was a little bit of that. It really started more with that kind of tone based on conversations that Eric initially had with Floyd. Eric, maybe you want to talk about that, and I'll circle back to where I came in. Yeah, when I when I first met Floyd, I'd, um, 
I just come off directing a documentary about an artist named Drew Struzan who did a lot of like the posters for the Star Wars and Indiana Jones movies. In fact, he did the Indiana Jones ride poster and he did our poster. And uh, and so right away, I, you know, I started talking to Floyd about like it would be so great to make a movie about him. And then uh, when Michael came on, is when it became real because uh, he he was. He, he was so great about being like, okay, this is how we should tackle it. Right away, we should sort of get his whole foundation. Like, let's get his whole story in, in one, in our first trip. And, and Michael did such a great job of uh, putting that all together so that we, you know, so we, day after day, we're shooting on the, the Disney lot. He's taking us around the lot. He's, he's taking us through the animation building. He's, and we're seeing all these places where these plastic films were made, and he's drawing for us as well. He's doing drawings at the, the old drawing board, you know, where they've done so much stuff, and, he's, and we get to see his process. And then, uh, and then Michael uh, uh, put together this incredible sizzle reel. So, yeah, it was really kind of... Uh, those initial days were very much off of just Floyd being Floyd. Like, we got access purely because of Floyd. And then kind of the, 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 the business side of things obviously had to kick in. And, you know, we, as Eric was saying, we, we came away after those two or three days with enough material that we could create a sizzle reel. So the initial thought when Eric and I first started the process was that I would, no matter what, guarantee funding to make the movie. That we, if we started it, we were going to finish it, guaranteed. But there was always kind of that potential of, look, if we can find an investor awesome it takes the burden off of me personally uh, obviously to finance it so one of the routes we went was to go to disney and i met with an executive there and pitched him the idea of doing it and they went back to marketing and shockingly marketing actually said we don't see any commercial value in this which shocked eric and i and but it does make sense on some level in the sense of like they're not in the business of making documentaries, right. um, and they don't tend to pull back the curtain on the creatives that are responsible. There have been very few documentaries, obviously, about the you know people involved with Disney until really only the last like ten years or so. So we were lucky enough that this executive though believed in us and supported us in the sense that he said, look, we'll do like a handshake deal. I'm going to give you access to some things. Like, for instance, the pitch session when they brought Floyd back to work on 101 Dalmatians and the sequence that was never completed for inclusion on the Blu-ray, this executive said, you guys can come in and film that. And so by way of having access to that, it kind of gave us opportunity to be at Disney more with Disney's seal of approval. But initially, like I was saying, it really was based on no one's going to mess with Floyd. Everybody loves Floyd. <laughs> so we were, we were just kind of, as long as he was with us, they were like, okay, you guys are cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you walk around with Floyd and people don't bother you. They're like, he's so beloved. And he, he's, he, know, he knows everybody because he's, he's worked on so many films over the years that it uh, doesn't matter if they're young or old, if they're at Disney, at some point they've crossed paths with Floyd or worked with him. And also, we with those initial shoots, we were really strategic. I don't know if you guys know, you know, camera and tech very well, but we were shooting with the camera uh, Canon 5D camera, which is oh, nice. an SLR. Yeah. So it looks like a still camera. And Eric was doing uh, the interviewing, and I had the camera on. Uh, I can't remember if it was a shoulder mount or 
some sort of a monopod. But either way, it looked like we were doing still photos. So someone came up to Floyd a few days later and said, hey, I saw some guys doing a photo shoot with you. And he <laughs> laughed and he just goes, Floyd goes, that wasn't a photo shoot. We were shooting a documentary. <laughs> so, so we blended in very nicely. Nobody knew. They thought we were just doing photos of Floyd. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, sometimes just being right out in the open is the best thing. Like, of course right. we're shooting with Floyd. Why would we? <laughs> Who wouldn't do that? <laughs> now, with you having met him and getting this started from Comic-Con and, and knowing what an incredible character in the background he has, what were you really setting out to accomplish in telling Floyd's story with this film? Well, you know, it... first, Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Eric, go ahead. Uh, at, at first, you, you know, you think, well, he's the first uh, black animator at Disney, that that would be like a big uh, thing in, in the film. But what we found out uh, was that he had such a great experience uh, working at, at Disney and, and that he had, he had such admiration for Walt Disney and values working with him so much. He had such admiration for him. And he still to this day says Walt Disney's the best boss he ever had. He, he loved training under the, the nine old men. So right away, we kind of realized, well, wow, race isn't going to play as big of a factor in this as, as we thought. And that's when we realized it's going to be more about ageism is really what he had to tackle later in life. Right. And, and we went in, I mean, what I think, you know, when Eric and I had those initial, like, coffee lunch meetings before we got together on the project, the place where we were feeling each other out kind of just like about the tone of what we wanted to make, we were both in agreement that we wanted to make a love story. Uh, you know, a story about a man who loves his art, his family, um, you know, his current wife, his ex-wife. And that was always maintained. No matter what happened throughout the filming process, whatever curveball or rabbit hole we went down, like, we maintained that. And I think you can see that in the final movie. As Eric was saying... Yeah, we, we certainly realized very quickly that race was not going to be some sort of big conflict hook in the movie. Um, but, you know, as we learned along the way, you know, Floyd is such a humble guy that oftentimes, if you, you know, if you're going to compare him to an onion with layers, you know, he would only let you pull back so many. And when it came to things like ageism, and being forced retired from Disney on his 65th birthday, which he was not expecting, he would only let you pay, pull back, let's say, two layers. It was going to all those other folks we interviewed where all of a sudden they were pulling back the third, the fourth, the fifth, and more layers. And then what would happen is, is when we learned that information from them, we could then go back to Floyd and kind of, not corner him because that sounds very aggressive, but in a very polite way, say, Hey, you know, your wife, Adrian told us X, Y, Z. And then he would go, yeah, you know, that did happen. So you had to find a way to let him, you know, to, to allow himself to pull back layers three, four, five and beyond. And that's how we would go about it. And By throwing his friends and family like under the bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, throwing his friends and family under the bus. But, you know, Floyd, Floyd deals with things through humor, you know. So when when the stuff is uh, when he's having hard times and going through stuff, he puts it into these hilarious cartoons, you know. And yeah. so that's how he expresses himself by like by satirizing things and joking about things, which is why there's also so much humor in the documentary too, because Floyd looks at life through this humorous way as a cartoonist uh, so uh 
the Floyd did all these great gags based on his life for the film uh, that were then later uh, animators were brought in to sort of animate these gags to like add that element to it as well. And what's interesting is, is, you know, when you make any movie, especially documentary, it kind of tells you what it wants to be as you're working on it. And I think Eric and I found along the way through the accumulation of all these different people and all these different interviews was that one of the main threads and important pieces of Floyd's story is that while Eric, as Eric was saying, he used humor in his drawings to express like his frustrations and his angst. It was really him meeting his second wife, Adrian. Um, she really gave him a voice beyond the satirical drawing. She she taught him, and you see it in the movie, and so many people enjoy her. A lot of people will say, we we love Floyd's co-star, Adrian, because you know, <laughs> she's so blunt. She she tells it exactly as it is, and he, yeah. I think he, he needed that. So what right. starts to happen is, instead of him just drawing a drawing, now he's like typing, uh, you know, a statement online when Meryl Streep comes in, right. and he starts to actually use his, his voice. And... You know, now he's for the last decade or so, he's had this wonderful blog that every day he's contributing not just drawings, but he's also, again, using his literal voice. And that is a huge part of the story is his wife, his second wife, giving him a voice. You um, talked about how Floyd admired Walt so much. What do you think that Walt's influence on Floyd outside of animation was with his life and such? It's a good well, question. Yeah, I mean, Floyd, uh, you know, loved Disney films from when he was a kid. I mean, he saw Dumbo in the theater when he was a kid, and that was such an inspiration to him. And he always, his dream was always to, to work at Disney. And so when he went and, and got a job there at such a young age, uh, he, he, you know, for him, it's a dream come true. He's training under the nine old men. But, but you know, it, it took a while before Walt brought him up into the story department. I mean, Floyd was happy being an animator on films like Sleeping Beauty, and then uh, he would put those gags up all over the uh, all over the studio because they would all the all the animators would put up gags, and he put up these great gags like making fun of Walt Disney in a loving way. <laughs> but uh, Walt Disney saw those gags and promoted them for it, you know, and that's how he got in the story department of. Uh, Jungle Book. So I know for a fact, you know, like when we go and do these Q and A's for screenings of the movie, you know, he always talks about how Jungle Book was such an important moment of his life because that's the one film where he worked with Walt Disney directly, where he got to see him work, where he got to pitch boards to him, and uh, and I think there's there's no, I mean, what better master to learn from if you want to be an animator than, than Walt Disney, and that's stuck with him forever. And I think he took perseverance from Walt. I mean, I think that generation in general, whether it be Walt or the Nine Old Men, I mean, I think they were very nuts and bolts artists. They came in, they worked very hard, and they did it again the next day. And, you know, they they knew never to bemoan the process. They knew that it was, you know, something that you would do something you really loved, and then you might have to throw it out and start from scratch. And that partly came out of how Walt set up his story room. And so I think, you know, when you talk about Floyd, you know, when he gets forced retired at 65 and they tell him, okay, well, your job title doesn't exist anymore. I think 
you know, Floyd's choice to stay and say, I'm not going, I'm going to go every day to a cubicle at Disney and I'm going to continue to draw whether you pay me or not. I think that kind of comes out of that, you know, group of men like Walt who would never have stopped at 65. And many of them did not, you know, they kept right. going. Joe Grant, as we talk about in the movie, uh, would go to Disney all the time until he died in his 90s. And uh, the, the story as it goes is that he died at the drawing board. Um, and I think that is ingrained now in Floyd. And, and, and he, he's going to have that pencil in his hand to, to <laughs> his dying day. It's the best way to go. Yep. So, throughout the artist, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> throughout the process of, of shooting the movie, I mean, you really get to see how everybody just appreciates Floyd and kind of basically like a like a, a magnet. They're just drawn to him and everything. Were you guys surprised based with his success with the Disney company outside the Disney company and the way that? I don't want to say he commanded a presence, but the way, you know, he just kind of drew everybody to him. Were you guys surprised that he still is just kind of a, a humble guy? I mean, Michael actually, I think a little bit little earlier, mentioned something about the way he stays humble. So was that surprising to you guys to, to meet him and, and really see how humble this guy still is? I think it's amazing that he has this childlike spirit. Like, he's been through this in this industry for so long, but he still genuinely loves animation. He's still gets excited about it like a like a kid he still loves cartoons and he still wants to to do it and and uh, and, I, and the one thing that i love is that he wants to share all these stories he loves sharing these these experiences and, and it's amazing that all these amazing people like Whoopi goldberg and don hahn and richard sherman you know they all wanted to talk about floyd mm -hmm. and i and i think that is because he's so humble and he's so talented that that, that I think maybe there's just a security in that he doesn't need to brag his sounds speak for himself. Yeah. Yeah, we'd often hear when my office would approach certain folks to be in the movie, the common response was anything for Floyd. It wasn't even a question. And you know, I I was amazed by how humble he is, partly because he's gone through just such a big corporate machine um, and survived multiple times. You know, if I look at my colleagues and friends of, of any age who have gone through the highs and lows of any type of career, you know, there can be bitterness there. You know, if they're, if you're highly successful, you, you know, you could, uh, you know, lack a uh, humble nature um, but Floyd, it's like every day is kind of a new day. It's like he has this ability to forget everything that happened the day before. <laughs> and I think that's why he's nearly 82 and acts like, you know, he's a 30 year old because I think <laughs> he has the ability to kind of forget and, and take the good things of the day before with him, but forget the bad stuff. And just he keeps it very real. It's all about the art. Well, and, and to go in with the, the, you know, the bad stuff. One thing that we we appreciate when we watch the documentary is you didn't only show just the bright side of, of what it's like to be an animator. We also showed the dark side as well. It's a true depiction of what life is like as an animator. Most of our listeners know I 
um, was originally planning on being an animator for Disney. I've got everything from Walt Disney Feature Animation everything. They said, you know, get your art degree and, and you're hired on. Um, and then when Eisner cut 2D animation, I ended up changing my complete career path. So, you know, I appreciated you showing what it's really like and, and, and showing both sides because, you know, it's it's, it's not always a, a pretty world that people see what, you know, the movies turn into at the end. So, you know, I got to appreciate that you did that. It's hard to have longevity in this business, and that's why it's so amazing that Floyd is always managing to get on something else. So it's like, he gets fired by Disney, he goes to Hanna-Barbera, then he goes to Pixar, then he goes back to Disney. Like, you know, but he keeps finding work. He keeps finding something to jump on, and it's because he loves it so much, he, he won't right. give up. But you, you're right. That's a hard road because, you know, there's, there's, you never know how long this gig's going to last. You don't know what that next movie's going to be. And then what's going to come after that? So there, there's a lot of perseverance that goes into it. It's definitely not easy. And while the movie is you know, set against the backdrop of animation, you could really remove that and kind of apply this to anyone's life because it is a movie about tenacity and perseverance. And what I've come away with from, from audience reaction, one of the things that struck me the, the most with how I've actually had a lot of people come back, come up to me and say, you know, I gave up on a certain career a few years ago, but by the end of this movie, I wanted to go back. I want to fight the fight again. And it didn't have anything to do with being an animator. Their careers were the furthest thing from. But Floyd has become in some ways like a, you know, a cheerleader for fight the good fight. Whatever you believe in, if you believe strongly enough in it, keep at it. And and when I hear people respond that they feel that way and that's their takeaway, I'm like, good for you, Floyd. You yeah. know, it's it, it, it becomes more than just a, a movie about a guy who's had a lot of impact on animation. It becomes something so much more. Well, it made me, you know, exact same way. It made me want to go and pick up my drawing board and, and start drawing away and the one thing I've got to give Floyd credit for is, you know, like I just mentioned, I, I kind of changed paths when Eisner cut 2D and everything went to 3D. And Floyd, even at his age, you know, he jumped right on and, and was doing as well or better than, you know, the, the young crew coming in and went right into 3D with Pixar and everything else and was able to work through both worlds on that. And, you know, I have to give such huge credit because, you know, as an artist myself, I always said, you know, it's not art if it's not created by my hand. And, you know, anyone can learn a computer, but seeing what it takes to go from the 2D to 3D and back and forth, it's just incredible talent. Yeah, it's amazing that Floyd, uh, he loves technology. Uh, he's somebody who always kept up on it. I mean, I, I personally, uh, I romanticize um, traditional animation because it's, it's just so beautiful. And I think it's amazing that Floyd has that foundation of, I did it the hard way. I worked on Toys right. and Beauty where there was no shortcuts of any kind. No computers are going to bail you out. And I, I think it's amazing, though, that he's always kept up uh, on computers, and, and he actually in, embraces it. And uh, and I, I do think that is a factor to that longevity. And before um, as we talk about the Blu-ray release, I just have to know, what was it like to be in the same room as Roy's camera? Oh, that was a cool moment. I mean, we'd heard about the camera very early on. And there was always this question if Floyd's creative partner, Leo Sullivan, had still had the camera. So to, to, to give quick 
history of the camera, it's a 16 millimeter Bolex that Floyd had bought from Roy Disney um, back in the 1960s when he saw it posted on the Bolton board at Disney. And at that point, he had met his creative partner that he has worked with from the mid 60s on to the present day, Leo Sullivan. He went to Leo and said, hey, I see this thing on the Bolton board. I'm going to buy it. And they were all excited. Well, this camera went from you know, being used by Roy on, um, what was the show, Eric, again? True Life Adventures. Oh, uh, True Life Adventures. True Life Adventures, that's right. So it goes from, you know, a classic program like True Life Adventures to these guys, and then they go and use it to film the Watts riots. (laughs) That's amazing. You go from the sweet, (laughs) the most innocent, sweet Disney thing (laughs) to the Watts riots. (laughs) And so we kept hearing about this camera and one day we went to Leo's home because he has like a lot of their archive on. I think Eric went back there first. Eric, you describe it. <laughs> well, there's so much stuff back all the way to the ceiling. That was like, <laughs> this is going to be hard to find. It's going to be like finding the lost ark in that warehouse. At the end, you know? uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we never got the camera. Uh, <laughs> you know, when he, and when they bring it in, when you see in the movie. Leo bring it out and put it on the kitchen table at Floyd's house. That was the first time we saw it. We didn't even really know if he was ever really going to find it in his, you know, area 51 behind his house. (laughs) (laughs) So, so when it came out, I mean, we were, there's a photo that we have of, of Floyd, Leo, Eric and I together. And it's actually one of my favorite moments that we were all together, but also one of my favorite photos taken uh, while we were filming. Yeah, I mean, and Leo and Floyd did so much work together. They worked on Fat Albert together. They did the Soul Train animated logo together. So, you know, he had this amazing career with uh, Leo doing all this great stuff, too. And now the the Blu-ray of this film is available, which I highly recommend everyone picking up and seeing. It's just amazing work. Thank Can you. Can you, you tell us what the special features are that, that's included in it that you don't get with the Netflix release? Sure. There's, we put on a bunch of really fun stuff. You've got one of my favorite things on there is a side-by-side look at the original gags that Floyd drew that inspired the 20 to 30 uh, segments of animation created oh, wow. for the documentary. Cool. And what's really, really cool is these 10 or so animators from all around the world came together to contribute to our movie and what Eric and I did is we sat down with our first cut of the movie and said, well, what are the, the 20 or so sequences that are kind of missing B-roll or you just need some sort of animation or, or, or something to kind of up the ante in these moments? We always knew we were going to do animation, um, but it was like, you know, what are the segments? So we picked 20 to 30, sent the clips of those moments to Floyd, and over the next couple of days, he was wonderful to turn out these 20 or 30 still gags that um, then informed the animators all around the world, you know, not just as a character design guide, but also kind of the the narrative that they were going to draw. And um, also on the Blu-ray are, uh, there's a great sequence in the documentary where Floyd gets together with um, some legendary comic artists, animators, 
producers, directors in the animation world, where they have a weekly lunch. They've been doing this for decades. And um, we have uh, an additional 10-minute uh, sequence on the Blu-ray that extends beyond what you saw in the movie. And then we also have um, extended sequences with Floyd and Leo talking really in-depth about the breadth of their career together, um, starting in the mid-60s, going to the present day. You know, obviously we have them together for a bit in the movie, but because, you know, Floyd has such an extensive history, we can only cover so much about his work with Leo. So that, that segment extends it. And then a bunch more, um, including the uh, theatrical trailer. Awesome. So before we start wrapping everything up, why don't you guys take a minute, let our listeners know all about the Floyder with Floyd contest. What, what's going on with that? <laughs> well, it's, it's an amazing contest because you literally get the Floyder with Floyd. And Floydering is Floyd's <laughs> name mixed with loitering because uh, he will not leave Disney. Even when they asked him to retire, he just kept hanging out there. He took over a desk and kept just showing up every day anyway. He became sort of his elder stage near the company where he'd floiter and people come up and ask him stories about Disney history and his career. But uh, So the winner gets to actually floiter with him on the Disney lot. You get to see the original Disney lot with Floyd, who was there back in the day. He'll walk you around the animation building. They'll take you around. You have lunch in the commissary. So it's really a unique, one-of-a-kind of experience to, to go on the Disney lot and get a tour from a Disney legend. Wow. And it's really easy to enter. All you got to do is go to our website, floydnormanmovie.com, and uh, when you purchase a Blu-ray, you'll get it in the mail, take a photo of yourself uh, with the Blu-ray, and ha uh, hashtag it floydering, and put it on <laughs> social media, and then we pick at random one person to um, be taken to Burbank, to the Disney lot, to have lunch with Floyd, and to get a tour. And we actually did this uh, we awarded our first winner uh, about six weeks ago in L.A., and uh, Tiffany Libcumin uh, comes from the San Francisco Bay Area, and um, she had the time of her life. She's an aspiring animator, and um, as part of the tour, Floyd was really kind enough to set up something that really no one gets to see, which is uh, Walt, Walt's original office, awesome. which has been oh restored yeah, and Eric and I were lucky enough to be there for that, too. So we got to, not only did we, you know, feel like kids, you know, we were so <laughs> excited, but just watching Tiffany, you know, get to relate to Floyd as an aspiring animator. Uh, she's a very young woman, so for her, it was like she's at the start of her journey. So to hear all these stories from Floyd on the lot and get to see Walt's uh, office, um, for any Disney lover, this it's kind of a dream come true. I was just going to say I this entire contest is out. dream come true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, she left really inspired, and we were totally inspired. I mean, the Floyd even told us some stories we hadn't heard before, and we spent wow. years making a movie about them. So <laughs> it was pretty amazing. So before we let you guys go, uh, all the guests we have on the show, we always ask the same five questions. Uh, we call it our, our tiki, tiki lightning round. So I hope you guys are – I hope you're sitting down and I hope you're ready here. Sure. Go for it. Uh, question number one for you guys. What is your favorite Disney park snack? Oh, that's easy. The corn dog. Nice. Interesting. I like churros. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your favorite attraction? Haunted Mansion. 
uh, uh, what do you call it? The Pirates of the Caribbean. Nice. Nice. That's, that's, yeah, that's a big one for me. Uh, favorite Disney character? Ooh. That's, that's a hard one. <laughs> mm. uh, probably Mowgli. Nice. <laughs> wow. I'm just going to have to, for some reason, Goofy popped into my head, so I'm going to go with uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite too so i got you there i thought you'd throw floyd out there <laughs> yeah exactly floyd norman <laughs> uh your favorite disney movie jungle book nice. so my answer is gonna probably make a lot of people crazy one of my favorites is not animated but it's the black hole <laughs> wow oh, nice. interesting that cool. 80s sci-fi yeah, I love. I really love the black hole, but it's not. It's not like it's an amazing movie, but it's it's the elements that put it together. Like that is the most eclectic cast you're ever going to see in a movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then on top of it, the John Barry score is amazing. So, yeah, well, that's true, definitely. And last question for you guys: your favorite Disney park memory? Hmm, that's that's interesting. Probably the first time I went. I was uh, five years old, so it was so overwhelming. But I, I just remember, like, uh, just how intense those those rides were for a little kid. Uh, like Pirates of Caribbean and Haunted Mansion, they were so fun and exciting. And uh, I definitely left, like, I gotta get back there again one day, you know, <laughs> even as a kid. For me, it was actually filming the Fort Norman dock when we went to Disneyland to just shoot some B-roll. There was a right. moment, yeah, there's like a moment that it, it, it hits you that, you know, it's not like, you know, you, anyone could take photos or video of those things. But when you realize what you were filming them for and the, the how suddenly Eric and I had this connective tissue to such a important person like Floyd and the Disney organization... It was a very kind of special moment. So that that's what it would be for me. Nice. It's definitely a, a, a memory you'd never forget. Absolutely. Well, making the movie in general for both of us, we'll never... Yeah. These are some of the best memories we've had. So Definitely. That's awesome. Well, before we let you guys go, we do want to thank you both for coming on and doing this and sharing a little bit about this thank incredible you. documentary. But... Um, you know, let our listeners know where can they get the documentary and if you guys have any uh, websites or anything else where they can find you both. Sure. So we're on, you know, all forms of social media. On Facebook, we're Floyd Norman Documentary. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I think one of them were Floyd Norman Doc and the other were Floyd Norman Movie. I can't remember which. But uh, most importantly, you can uh, purchase the Blu-ray at floydnormanmovie.com. Uh, and we are on all the VOD platforms as well. Awesome. Well, thank you guys both again. It's It's been an incredible pleasure having you come on and bring in Floyd's story to life. Thank you so much for having us, and thanks for spreading the word about uh, Floyd in our movie. Yeah, thank Absolutely. you guys. Of course. All right, so that's going to do it for this week. First, we want to thank our sponsors, Kingdom Strollers. Kingdom Strollers provides premium stroller and crib rentals delivered straight to your Disney resort. For more information, please visit kingdomstrollers.com. Check out Mickey Monthly to have magic from the parks delivered straight to your door. Visit mickeymonthly.com for more information. Also, head over to myfantasybands.com where you can get customized magic band covers for your next Walt Disney World vacation. You can use the code ENCHANTEDTIKITALK20 to save 20% off your custom order at myfantasybands.com. 
Be sure to let us know what you thought about the show. Head over to EnchantedTikiTalk.com or Facebook.com slash EnchantedTikiTalk.com to leave a comment about the show. You may email us at podcast at EnchantedTikiTalk.com and leave us a message on the Tiki Talk hotline, which is 256-4MY-TIKI. That's 256-469-8454. Check out our store at RedBubble.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Tiki Talk Podcasts. But lastly, if you enjoyed the show, please take the time to rate us on iTunes. And you could find me on Twitter at One Minute Disney Dream. That's one M I N Disney Dream, MouseWorldVacations.com, and MousePros.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at DoleWhipDaily. And you can find me on Twitter at Scotty Campbell or on Instagram at ScottyBoy. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at MHolly579, TikiTrot.com. All that being said, Alan, it's all you, buddy. Thanks for listening this week for Sean and Keith and Matt. I'm Alan, and this has been Enchanted Tiki Talk. Aloha. I have fun in the Tiki room. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to, right? I mean, you know. You're... Yeah, right? <laughs> I can't believe the birds didn't make a single sound the whole time we were on. <laughs> yeah, <it was> <laughs> They're all drunk and passed out by now anyway, so it's almost... I was going to say. Ah, yeah. right. <laughs> Had to be, because I didn't hear a peep. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of Lapu-Lapus, and they're done. They're they're out to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Enchanted Tiki Talk has been brought to you by MousePros.com. Log on to MousePros.com to plan your perfect Disney vacation. And Mickey Monthly, where you can get the park sent directly to you. And by Kingdom Strollers. Visit KingdomStrollers.com on your next visit to Orlando. Or call 407-271-5301 for premium stroller and crib rentals. Thanks for listening to Enchanted Tiki Talk.